Could I pray for you both? Yeah, that'd be great. Thank you. Father, I just uh, lift you, uh, Naomi and Andy. We pray, Father, that as they bring your word to us this morning, that your Holy Spirit would give them uh, wise words, your words, and enable them to speak clearly and boldly. And I pray for each one of us that you would give us hearts to hear and to receive and to respond appropriately. In Jesus' name, Amen. Yeah, Palingana, everyone. Good morning. I'm Naomi, daughter of Lyndon, granddaughter of Nina. I'm a trollaway woman living here on Kulin Nation lands. And as part of our protocol of recognising the creator and recognising creation, I want to pay respects to the long tradition of elders, past and present, who care for this creation, who remind us that God is and was and always will be in these lands. If we believe in a God who is Alpha and Omega, as I do, then God has always been in these lands. And if we believe in an omnipotent or loving creative God, then God created the peoples of these lands. And it's a great sadness that the early church didn't recognise its own creator when it came to these lands. And it's a great missed opportunity that the early church didn't see the creator in the peoples that it met. So we have a new opportunity before us together as Indigenous and non-Indigenous peoples to work together so that all of creation is recognised and for us to see Christ in each other. When my grandmother was growing up, she spoke of how the church was a place that she could go and talk to Jesus, but that she knew that when the church wasn't welcoming, that Jesus was always with her and that she could go sit beside her favourite river and still talk and be with Jesus. And I hope that in times when the church is not available to you, that you realise that Jesus is always with us. So Andy and I are part of Nate's. And I've probably gone a bit off script here, Andy, but the spirit moves. We are part of NATES, which is an international community uh, who responded to the vision and to the call of Indigenous elders gathered in New Zealand a long, long time ago who tried to think about how do we respond as Indigenous peoples who are followers of Jesus. Truly Christian, truly Indigenous, wherever we're from. Yetaroa, New Zealand, Australia, Canada, and so on. And Nates is just one expression of that. And we are blessed this year that Nates College was started, and we are thankful for the partnership of your church and others to allow that to happen. Because what I spoke about before with colonisation, we have some things that we need to work together to, um, to heal. And I honestly believe that Lord rises up people to do that work. 
Um, do we have a PowerPoint that we were going to show? Fingers yep. crossed. Yep, okay. <laughs> All right, so you? Yeah. Yep. Morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Andy. Um, I'm a Pākehā New Zealander, which is to say I'm a non-Indigenous New Zealander. Uh, in Aotearoa, we use uh, the word Pākehā to describe ourselves. It's a Māori term. Um, and, uh, and kind of speaks to the nature of the relationship we hope to have with Indigenous peoples in Aotearoa. Um, Pastor Kat has invited us here to tell you a little bit about, about the work of Nate, um, but also to speak to uh, the video content that you're going to be watching uh, this week. Um, and we know that this is a church that is invested in being good, right relationship partners. That's a language we would use, but good friends. And so uh, because of the depth of, of this relationship between you all and Nate, we feel like we can be pretty upfront uh, about uh, this content that you're, you're going to watch. Uh, it's not great. Um, let's start there. Uh, Carl Fays, um, who is a, a pretty well-established, high-profile Baptist leader. He, um, I know that in my time here, we watched content by him, and it was pretty good. Um, but in this video, you're going to watch him repeat many of the negative stereotypes that exist in this country about Indigenous peoples. Um, he uh, paints a portrait of Aboriginal Australians as criminal, as uneducated, as poor, as sick or dying, um, which is pretty horrific. And so I, I want to preface this message this morning to say that um, this probably isn't the normal uh, stuff that we would get up here and talk about. Um, but uh, we, we, we spoke with Pastor Kat during the week and, and talked about whether it was good to still watch this video, um, whether it was still good for us to speak to it. And our sense was that um, actually, yeah, it would be good to watch it and it would be good to speak to it. Um, because we want to equip you to, to, to watch it well and to watch it and to be able to see it for what it is, that it's actually, there's a lot of misinformation um, here. And, and our hope is that we can equip you to, to do that well, to watch it well and to see it for what it is, but then to be able to see how that same misinformation actually exists uh, in, in quite a large way in the church in Australia and, and outside the church as well. Um, so the way that this is going to work this morning is that we're, we're going to speak to a few of the quotes from the video uh, and then conclude by looking uh, at a passage from Romans 14. Um, we're, we're also keen to allow some time for questions. Um, we acknowledge that what we're going to talk about <clears throat> might be new information to you. Um, it might uh, just be something you have questions about, which would make perfect sense. Uh, so we're going to allow maybe 10 minutes or so at the end um, for questions too. So let's jump to our, our first quote, please. It's a rather formal-looking photo, isn't it? I wish I could look that formal. I never can make it. <laughs> I think I've got similar glasses, though. <clears throat> this quote I have been praying and meditating and wrestling with <laughs> since I watched it. Oh dear. Yes, he is right. Australia was settled in a period of time when colonialism was the usual practice. But <laughs> colonialism isn't right. And just because something is the usual practice doesn't mean that we should do it. Uh, quotes like this are a little problematic because it means that we give ourselves an out. We say, oh, everybody was doing it. We just went with the crowd. Or 
Another version of this that I've heard is that, oh, um, it wasn't as bad as the other colonialism. You know, Australia was lucky they had the British colonialism and not the other colonialism or this colonialism because if it had been a couple of days later, it would have been this colonialism and that's terrible. Whereas British colonialism. Colonialism is a very arrogant way of seeing the world. And as I was coming up through, and I love your, is it, do you call it a mission statement on the, I love this. This is so tangible and so real. Um, I love the fact that you are anti-commodifying things. You're not out there just grabbing what you want but you're actually thinking about it and you're saying, how can I intentionally use what's been given to me or available to me? And that is the opposite to colonialism. Colonialism is an expansionist idea of what's out there and how can we take it? And I can't see anywhere in the Bible that justifies consumerism, commodification, colonisation. Even if we do a very strange reading of the Great Commission to go out and make disciples and to baptise them, to, to allow them to become followers of Jesus, it doesn't mean that we have to obliterate everything of their life. And that's what colonialism does. It says we have the right kind of Jesus we have the right kind of way of connecting to God. We have the right language. We have the right type of food. We have the right way of raising children and so on. And there's a danger in that because that's less about Jesus and more about empire. And it's always frustrated me how empire-based Christianity became. If we look at Jesus and the experiences of Jesus, they were not empire. You know this, we know this. Empire gets rid of people like Jesus. Empire condemns them to a horrible, horrible death along with other political and other troublemakers. We know this. Jesus is not empire Christianity. Jesus is anti-empire. And so colonialism gets wrapped up in empire. And because it is so wrapped up in empire, it forgets that the Jesus of Nazareth was too a marginalised person, was a brown person, was a person from a community that the dominant culture looked down upon. And so as anti-empire Christians, we can't let ourselves get away with this. Colonialism robbed all communities in Australia of the gifts of creation. It robbed non-Indigenous peoples from seeing the beauty of God in these lands, in Indigenous communities. It robbed Indigenous communities of our gifts to you a great sadness in many of our elders that there's so many ways that we can invite non-Indigenous peoples into the stillness, into connection with God through creation, 
but that was not available to them. Thankfully, it's changing. I think about my grandmother and her generation having to sit at the back pews. Wouldn't be up here. Wouldn't be sitting in the front. Even if there were rows free in the front, that's not where Aboriginal people sat. They sat down the back. And if those seats were gone, they stood. They didn't come up the front. So I'm grateful that several generations later, I'm here with Andy. We're here in a church that welcomes us and receives us. That's anti-empire. So we can say, oh, well, colonisation was something that was just happening because colonialism was the thing of the time. But we need to start asking questions. Is it right? Is it of God? Is it the best way of showing the world the wonders and the amazing salvation of Jesus Christ? I don't believe so. Our uh, next quote comes from a gentleman named Roy Williams. And uh, Roy was a lawyer turned writer. Uh, and like a, a lot of the people in this video, it's hard to be sure what qualifies him to speak about the faith of Aboriginal people. Um, and the comment that he makes here that the, the only people who cared for Aboriginal people were Christians, only Christian voices were speaking up, is just patently untrue. Um, historically, the church has been largely silent on the mistreatment of Aboriginal people. Um, and we, the church, were complicit from the very beginning uh, in terms of theologically justifying the colonisation, abuse and murder of Aboriginal Australians, as well as having a hand in perpetrating it. Um, there have, of course, been moments where individuals in the church have sought to advocate for Aboriginal peoples. Um, for example, in 1838, the second Baptist minister to Australia, uh, a man named John Saunders, preached a sermon that was called uh, Claims of the Aborigines. Um, now, back in the day, I guess sermons were like <laughs> as good entertainment as you got in the colonies, so they printed them in the newspapers. Um, he ended up being sued for libel. Um, it was a, a very big and very public sermon. It wasn't... Um, you know, broadcast on YouTube or anything, but it was circulated through, through the colonies. And he was preaching in response to the Mile Creek Massacre. Uh, and now this was an event that also got a lot of public attention uh, for the time, not because it, it concerned the murder of Aboriginal elders and children, uh, nor because of the brutality with which they were killed, but because the 12 white men who perpetrated the massacre of elderly people and children were formally charged with their murder. This had never happened before, and it was incredibly controversial at the time. They could only find 11 of the 12 perpetrators um, for the first uh, round of trials. Uh, in the end, only three, I think, were actually convicted. Um, but in the first trial, um, the jury returned a verdict of not guilty within 15 minutes. One of the jurors went on to say publicly that I knew well they were guilty of the murder, but I, for one, would never see a white man suffer for shooting a black. So John Saunders made a bold choice in deciding to preach in response. He offers a compelling argument for the humanity of Aboriginal people, which was significant because a common view in the church at the time was that Aboriginal people were animals, and so they were unable to be saved. Saunders' sermon challenged several views of the day. He advocated for national repentance, for the treatment of Indigenous peoples, and for restitution to be made. Uh, he argued, it is our duty to recompense the Aborigines to the extent to which we have injured them. It's important to note, though, that um, Saunders 
never knew any Aboriginal people, um, nor did he use his influence to advocate for Aboriginal people with the colonial government. Um, he did establish the Aborigines Protection Society, which was an organisation that pushed for uh, what's called enlightened colonialism. And this was the idea that, in the words of white Australian historian Michael Christie, believed that the decimation of the Aborigines was due to the excesses of individual settlers, and that if such oppression could be curbed and a system of humane colonisation introduced, both settlers and Aborigines would benefit. He goes on to explain colonisation was profitable because it was based on the exploitation of both the people and the resources of the subject country. Unfortunately, the zeal and dedication with which the philanthropists espoused the idea of enlightened colonialism tended to obscure the fact that colonialism was essentially an exploitative process, one that was motivated not by altruism, but by a desire for political and economic aggrandizement. Saunders' sermon is really more concerned with protecting the white colonizing population from further sin than it is a defense of Aboriginal people. Um, his personal writing reveals his low view of Aboriginal peoples. Um, in a letter to his brother Alfred, he writes that they're taught nothing but to catch fish and throw the spear and they grow up ignorant and dirty and debased and they kill themselves with rum. Unfortunately, this is the pattern that the church has fallen into in Australia as far as it relates to Indigenous peoples. Um, we're very good at saying the right thing at the right time, but when it comes to doing anything about it, we often fail to act. Later in the video, um, you'll hear white Australian historian John Harris say that the biggest error of the church was not speaking out against the stolen generations. And very rarely did the church take children, but they did receive them. Um, this is certainly minimizing the role of Christian people in the forced removal of children, but it also neglects what happened to those children once they were in the care of church agencies. Um, we have a bit of a tendency in the Baptist movement to uh, believe that we weren't really involved in this kind of work, um, because our ecclesial structure is such that we don't tend to brand things as Baptist. For example, in 1845, Collins Street Baptist Church here in Melbourne opened a school for Aboriginal children that had the goal of civilizing them, which is to say forcing them to adopt European culture and ways of being, because in the thinking of the day, this was the only way that they could receive the gospel and be saved. Students were periodically uh, put on show at the town hall in the CBD, and they sold tickets to watch them read scripture and to spell uh, words uh, as a means of raising funds for the school. Um, the school ran for six years with very little success. Uh, they actually had a teacher, uh, they fired a teacher for selling the, um, the literal building materials of the school. Um, children were trying to live in this building. They had been forced, uh, forcibly removed from their families and, and were living in this building and he was literally selling the walls of the building from around them. Uh, and uh, the school resulted in the deaths of several Aboriginal children, um, but this is not a history that we in the Baptist Church like to talk about. On a much larger scale, in uh, 1889, the pastor of Wallara Baptist Church, uh, a Reverend H. Lockie, began an attempt to evangelize various clans of the Yora Nation. Out of this effort emerged the two largest organizations that have ever been involved in mission to Indigenous peoples, uh, the United Aborigines Mission and the Aborigines Inland Mission. Uh, at one time, they estimated that 95% uh, of missionaries in the mission field or people working with Aboriginal people were from these two Baptist organizations. The UAM actually only closed in 2019 uh, and the AIM continues to exist, although they rebranded it to become Australian Indigenous Ministries in 1998. 
Both organisations were founded and funded and staffed by Baptist people. Uh, although they claim to be non-denominational, the, the very particular denominational or um, like faith, the statement of faith that you had to comply to was very, very Baptist, so it kind of ruled out a lot of other people. Both of these organisations took stolen children, knowing that they were stolen, and both were called to give evidence to the Royal Commission into institutional responses to child sex abuse. And um, I thought about reading some of the testimony of survivors, but as you might imagine, it's pretty heavy for a Sunday morning. Uh, but that being said, I, I do encourage you to do some research and find out about the behaviour of some of our fellow Baptists. When confronted with this testimony, the general director of AIM, Trevor Leggett, claimed that he had no knowledge of any abuse in their organisation, though there were, of course, plenty of records detailing instances of the abuse of children at AIM. And eventually, uh, they did issue an apology, which was described as abject, insincere, cloying, and made at five minutes to midnight by a lawyer who represented survivors. At the time, Leggett refused to talk about compensation of survivors, saying, I'm not sure what money does in terms of compensation, to be honest. And when pressed as to why he held this view, he said, because I believe what we are doing now is more constructive than that would be. Um, it's hard to be sure what he's talking about there. I know that this is really hard to hear, uh, but I hope that you're getting the picture here that the church most certainly has been complicit in the mistreatment of Aboriginal people. And I would go as far as to say that we today, as people for whom this responsibility has been passed to, that, that we do have an institutional responsibility to engage in means of repentance and ongoing right relationship. And, and I want to affirm you to say that, that we at Nates at least see Beaumaris Mordialic Baptist Church as a church that does do this. Not just because you're giving us money, and so it's, it's good to be able to affirm you, but uh, because we see that as, as an ongoing sign of, of right relationship and a sign of partnership that is quite unique among churches uh, in Victoria. Can't read it. It says, For church, for Christian people, for us who all profess our faith in Jesus Christ and have all been transformed as a result of that through grace, I cannot understand why we're not at the forefront of this conversation. Picking up from what Andy just said, um, I often, I love Jesus and I love the church and uh, the church frustrates me because I think sometimes it gets so insular, so worried about changing, so worried about acknowledging things of the past that weren't great that it, it shuts down. And then there's a whole generation of people that never get to know the love of Jesus and the love of people within the church. When I walked in this morning, I was taken back to my childhood I grew up in northwest Tasmania, known as the Bible Belt. <clears throat> Any other northwest Tasmanian people here? Sometimes there are a couple of us that are economic refugees. Um, and in my hometown, there's about 30 odd churches, you know, every denomination. And if you fell out with a denomination or you felt called to start a denomination, you did. So there are a lot of house churches. But my siblings and I and my cousins, we have very fond memories of, of the local Baptist church. We are, we are not Baptist, we are Anglican and Roman Catholic. Uh, but the Baptist church used to put on the most amazing youth group for the whole town. Uh, 
and it got so big that it had to split into three youth groups. And when I came into this church this morning and I could see you all talking and you said hello to me and the hospitality was there, I thought, wow, this reminds me of the Baptist church growing up. And I speak at many churches and Auntie Anne and I have had this conversation before that, you know, there's a sense of trepidation when you walk into a church, even though you are Christian, even though it's your house as much as anyone else's house. There's a sense of trepidation of how will you be received. I didn't have that this morning and I'm grateful for that. And it reminds me, much like Annie Ann was talking about, why can't we have communities where Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Christians are working alongside non-Indigenous Christians as we try and sort out the mess? There are many organisations who have great intentions, but great intentions lead us down a pathway often that we should not go. They lead us away from God, they lead us away from reconciliation, and they reinforce those old ideas that certain populations are better than others, that a, a 19th century European way of looking at life, of seeing Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples is better than sitting around with us and talking about new ways. So Annie Ann and others, our elders, they are faithful followers of Jesus. And they have been crying into the wilderness, saying, you keep talking about how we are sad and pathetic creatures how we need education, how we need this and how we need that. I can tell you, Annie Ann, Patel Gray and others have so much of the Western education and yet very few opportunities have been open to them. So a better way forward for us is to work together, to do the homework that we need to do in all of our communities and then come together. Uh, you might be aware that the BUV has created a tool to assess the vitality of Baptist churches. We'll see it on the next slide there. They call it the Flourishing Church Framework, and it encourages church leadership um, teams to complete a survey looking at uh, all the different areas that you can see there, everything from diversity to leadership to structures and processes to discipleship, so on and so forth. Uh, and then the BUV compiles all the results and identifies areas in which the entire union of churches uh, needs to grow. Um, the areas where churches identify the greatest weaknesses have been the same every time that they do the survey. Um, evangelism is number one by far, um, that's always the lowest, followed by justice, leadership and diversity. In 2022, only 34% of Baptist churches nominated justice as an area of strength, uh, which means that with there being just over 250 churches in our union, there's over 165 Baptist communities in Victoria who feel that justice is an area of weakness for them. When it comes to justice and advocacy for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples, we often hear the same reasons given as to why the church isn't more involved. Um, there are no Indigenous people in our church, we don't know any Indigenous people in our local area, uh, and the issues are too complex or more often too political. And yet how many Baptist churches freely partner with organisations based overseas? Suddenly knowing the people involved or the political situation that they face isn't quite as important. 
I think the reality behind the church's lack of involvement in this conversation is a fear of having to confront the true history of this country and what it means for us, what it means for our identities. It means having to confront our complicity in the mistreatment of Aboriginal people and that a genuine response would be enormously costly. You might remember that at the start of 2020, our now Director Emeritus, uh, Uncle Terry LeBlanc, came and spoke here at Beaumaris Mordialic. Uh, if you have forgotten, you might remember the Indigenous man um, singing as he walked down the aisle here. Not a common occurrence, at least when I was at Beaumaris Mordialic. I don't know about nowadays. Maybe Kat does a lot of singing in the aisles. Aren't you going to sing at the end? Oh, oh I was going to surprise them with that. <laughs> Uh, Uncle Terry spoke to Acts 15, and it's this passage where the Council of Elders of the early church meets to discuss the fact that the Gentiles are coming to faith and being indwelled by the Spirit. They decide that Gentiles don't have to keep the law as Jews have done, with Peter declaring to the Council, why are you putting God to the test by placing on the neck of the disciples a yoke that neither our ancestors nor we have been able to bear? In the same way, uh, Uncle Terry spoke to the suffering of Indigenous Christians who've been forced to choose between Christian faith uh, and their cultures, languages and ways of life. The goal of Nates is to offer theological training and uh, that, that prioritises the capacity to be fully Christian and fully Indigenous and to amplify Indigenous theological perspectives. Uh, in this passage from Romans 14, we read about the difficulty faced by the church in Rome which was full of people who had come to faith with a whole bunch of different cultural backgrounds. One of the key issues was that their different cultural perspectives made eating together quite difficult. Um, those who had come to faith with a Jewish background had a very particular set of eating laws that you might be familiar with if you've read the Hebrew Bible at some point. Uh, and then the Gentiles came from a whole bunch of other different backgrounds uh, that had a whole bunch of other different rules around how to eat or what to eat. And interestingly, Paul's response isn't to advocate for homogeneity, that they all have to be the same. Instead, he writes from verse 13 of, of Romans 14, Let us therefore no longer pass judgment on one another, but resolve instead never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother or sister. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who considers it unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed by what you eat, you're no longer walking in love. Do not let what you eat cause the ruin of one for whom Christ died. His point here is simple. Value good, right relationship with your brother or sister above differences which have no eternal significance, like the food we eat. He continues from verse 16, So do not let your good be slandered, for the kingdom of God is not food and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. The one who serves Christ in this way is acceptable to God and has human approval. Let us then pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Now we could put a, a range of things into this last verse in place of food, I think. Do not, for the sake of different styles of worship, destroy the work of God. Do not, for the sake of smoking ceremonies, destroy the work of God. Do not, for the sake of a difficult history, destroy the work of God. It's my belief that we, the church, have the capacity to lead the nation in this conversation about how to be in right relationship with Indigenous peoples. I think by Morris Mordialic Baptist Church could lead our Baptist Union of Churches in thinking about this. 
Put simply, it's about being able to acknowledge the image of God in another and afford them the same dignity we ourselves would want to be afforded. You and I both know this. It means being prepared to acknowledge this difficult history and and, and the place of our institution, the Baptist Church, within it. And instead of shying away, investing ourselves in an ongoing relationship with Indigenous peoples, as we know that the the church here at Beaumaris Mordialic continues to do. Well, I want to thank you both for coming today and to share with us. As we know, this series, we are telling stories, we are remembering, and so that means sometimes we have to remember the hard parts of our Christian story and our national story as well, and we need to figure out what do we do with all of this? And we can come together, we can pray, we can join with our Indigenous brothers and sisters, and we continue to do this journey together. Thank you both for being so vulnerable and sharing. Do you mind if I pray for you before we stand up? Absolutely and we sing our final worship song. Loving God, we thank you for the many stories. We thank you for the ways that we pass down Christian tradition. Lord, I thank you for Andy and for Naomi for coming today, for uh, being brave enough and trusting us enough to share a message that they wouldn't at many churches. And I thank you, Lord, for the ongoing partnership and we pray for their work at Nate's. We thank you for their first master's graduate and we ask that we could continue to partner with them in new and kingdom ways. Amen. Amen. Amen.